Did you know that covenant is what God does? Because covenant is who God is. We're talking salvation history. Stick around. Let's talk about it. Houston, we have a problem. Habemos papan. Podcasting from a parking lot in the Woodlands, Texas, it's the Catholic Hack with Joe McLean. Take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all, so that sins may be forgiven. The Church of the Living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 Do this in memory of Hi, this is Bob Derulio from the Paul's Men Podcast, the Internet's great gathering of men. Lo and behold, we are already coming up on the first anniversary of the Paul's Men Podcast. And I want to tell you about a couple special podcasts coming up. A while back, I asked listeners if they had a testimony, if they would send me a script or MP3 or CD with their testimony. And on podcast number 51 and 52, we're going to bring you a couple of those stories. The first will be on podcast 51, the story of Greg, who lives in Indiana. As a child growing up, Greg was subjected to intense abuse. Here are a few words from Greg's story. Home to me was scary. I never felt safe nor loved. I used to hear things like, I hate you. I wish you were never born. You were disgusting and lazy. I used to get a sick feeling in my stomach on my way home from school on the bus. I can remember on more than one of occasions having food spit into my face over arguments at the dinner table. Greg grew up full of bitterness and hate. He eventually left home and joined the army. And when he came home from the army, the anger remained. But the story has a happy ending. And you'll hear that on Paul's Men podcast number 51. Then on podcast 52, you'll hear the story of Nick from Ohio. Nick was raised an evangelical in the Nazarene church, but he had been baptized a Catholic and discovered that by accident. Events eventually led him to the Catholic Church. Nick is 26 years old, and as you listen to his story, you just can't help getting excited about your Catholic faith. Then on podcast number 52, we're going to introduce a brand new segment, Ask Father. And the father we're going to ask is Father Jay McPhillips, and the subject matter will be apologetics. We'll talk about statues and the communion of saints. We'll talk about Mary, the magisterium, tradition. We'll talk about the rapture and Catholic beliefs and much, much more. This is an opportunity for Catholics to brush up on the knowledge of their faith, but it's also an opportunity for those who are not in the Catholic faith to learn a little bit about it in a non-threatening environment. There are many rumors and misconceptions about the Catholic faith out there, and we'll provide bite-sized chunks of what Catholics really believe. The Paul's Men podcast is about courage in the faith, and that's a challenge for each of us. www.paulsmen.com gets you to the website. 15,000 subscribers and growing. It's the Paul's Men podcast. Thanks so much. Take care and God bless. Welcome back to the Catholic Hack. I'm Joe McLean. This is episode number 85. Today we're going to be talking about a Father Who Keeps His Promises by Dr. Scott Hahn. With a special deal that we've set up with St. Anthony Messenger Press and my good friend Matt Weglos over there, we are going to be playing for you about a 10-minute segment from the audiobook from this great piece of literature. I think you're going to enjoy that. And today we'll we'll sort of review what we talked about in the last episode with our special guest, Josh LeBlanc. When we went over chapter one, we're going to finish up chapter one today, and we're going to be focusing on that 30,000 foot view of all the covenants in sacred scripture. So I think you're going to enjoy that. So stick around for that coming your way in just a few moments. That was a special plug by Bob Drillio and the Paul's Men podcast. I personally enjoy that podcast. If you've never listened to it, well, let me recommend it to you. Stop by my website for the link to go to his at www.catholichack.com. There in the show notes of episode number 85, you will find the link to the Paul's Men podcast. Or you can look down the right-hand side under Catholic Links. There, it's, it's there as well. You know, it's been a very busy time for me, and as I'm sure that you can relate, because it seems it's been busy for everybody I know, right? I mean, we're all pretty busy people. 
But I've been working on narrating The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis as a special project. I'm working with the Catholic Audio Company to produce that audiobook, and and it's been a lot of work, actually. In addition to that, I'm still producing the Behold the Man podcast. It's actually a radio show that I also produce as a podcast. Been very blessed and fortunate to see that show not only air on internet radio, but on several radio stations throughout South America, Central, Mexico, even a couple here in the United States. In addition to that, I've been producing the Fullness of Truth podcast and co-hosting the Finding Your Keys uh, radio show every Thursday night with Josh DeBlanc on Radio Maria. What a great gift and blessing that has been. Let me share with you also that I've just been feeling called into men's ministry in a in a probably a more significant way than I ever have before. I feel just so blessed to be used by God when it comes to helping men especially in the area of addictions to pornography, because I struggled with that for over 20 years. And what a gift it's been to be able to talk to men and just share with them my own personal journey on how God saved me from that and to try to help them come out of that slavery. Oh, it's been a great gift. And I got to tell you, I feel so just pumped up when I have the opportunity to share that, to share with men. And so to that end, God is starting to, has really been blessing me abundantly. I've been called once again to uh, MC the men's conference here in Houston, which will take place here in a couple of weeks. Please pray for me. I've also been asked to speak at the San Antonio Men's Conference coming up in March of 2010 to once again give my testimony, my journey through uh, through addiction to pornography and to also coming home to the Catholic Church. So please pray for that. I've also been teaming up with the Kingsmen Apostolate out of Pennsylvania and hoping to bring a chapter of the Kingsmen here to Houston, which which we hope to bring uh, a men's accountability group, helping men through this struggle, giving them support, giving them resources, and just showing them the way home, just for the glory of God alone. And so I've also been really wanting to write uh, my book that I've outlined, uh, which is a conversion story, but it's really focused more on, on theological themes, such as from slavery to sonship. Utilizing that parable of the father with the prodigal son to show how no matter how sinful we are, no matter how many mistakes we've made, God is worthy to forgive us if we come to him and give him our sins. And so that's the goal. Because, you know, I've always said, I am just the donkey Jesus rides today. I love that analogy. I love that image. Because, you know, in Numbers chapter 22, verse 28, we see an actual instance of God create, causing a jackass to speak for his purposes. That is so me. Sometimes God causes me, a jackass, to speak for his purposes and his glory. And so to that end, I've been so blessed. Once again, also being given the opportunity to become a contributor to a brand new men's website called WhoDoesItHurt.com. Actually, it's not just for men. It's also for women and married couples. And it's focused on the addiction to pornography. So check that out. WhoDoesItHurt.com. You're going to love this website. It's uh, put out by Matt Frad, He's uh, an Aussie who lives in in Ireland right now. He works in youth ministry and does a wonderful job. It has a great potential to outreach and to bridge the gap between the secular and the religious. It's a completely Catholic website, but it's designed to look just like a secular page that has that appeal that porn sites might offer, although you won't find any scandalous images there. So check that out, whodoesithurt.com. I will also post a link to that in the show notes. So a lot of activity going on. There's a lot coming down the road. I'm so excited about all of this, and I just ask for you to pray. You know, speaking of prayers, we need to get praying so we can get right into the heart and the matter of what we came to do today, and that's to discuss a father who keeps his promises. And so to that end, let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All glory and honor and praise be to you, almighty God. We thank you and we praise your holy name. 
Oh, God, we stand in awe of you and your salvation history, how you spoke to us like men who write novels and stories. You have written salvation history, that it speaks to our hearts, that we might pull from it the truth that you have ingrained. Lord, send forth your Holy Spirit and fill our hearts full of this glory. We seek this in your mercy, and we pray to you and to our Blessed Mother, seeking her intercession for us always. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I've jabbered enough. Now it's time for us to roll up our sleeves, and let's dive deep, and let's get into the truth about salvation history. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! This school when I sit, even just a little bit, I get hit with the power that made the veil in the temple split. When I submit, fall on the floor and the door. Can't get enough, got to come back for some more. Hey, we've got a problem here. Sinner, every woman in the free can benefit in this school. Repent and commit. Roger that. the incense rises up in adoration of the throne. Something happens to my wounded heart from all the love revealed and shown. Bright light, Shakina comes to my head to persist. The change and sustain the way I think it exists. To feel the bliss because my name is in the book of life's list. That's what happens when you sit in the school of the Eucharist. Mr. Hammond, take her down. Make your depth 150 feet. 10 degree down bubble. 150 feet, 10 degree down bubble. Aye, sir. Dive, dive, dive. Our spiritual ancestors. Supported by a cast of thousands, the main characters in our covenant love story will be familiar to you. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. What do these five men have in common? Each of them shared an intimate bond of friendship with God a relationship initiated by God and founded on a personal covenant. In fact, this series of covenants leads up to and climaxes in the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who instituted the new covenant and thus changed the course of history. As you read through the Old Testament, you are literally studying your own family story, your own roots, your own spiritual ancestors. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David are all truly our older brothers in God's family. Pope Pius XI once said, We are of the spiritual lineage of Abraham. Spiritually, we are all Semites because God's plan from the beginning has always encompassed the whole family of man. God's Family Tree at a Glance For an overview of the divine love story that encompasses the lives of these figures, Let's describe briefly the promises God made and fulfilled for each one of them. God called Adam to share in his blessing in the covenant of marriage with Eve and promised to deliver them from sin through the promised seed by crushing the head of the diabolical serpent tempter. The father pledged to Noah to keep him and his household safe from the flood and then promised never to wipe out the human family that way again. God promised Abraham the promised land where his natural descendants might be blessed as a nation, and then a kingdom, until eventually all the families of the earth would be blessed through him and his seed. The Lord used Moses to lead the twelve tribes of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, and to ratify a national covenant that made them a holy nation, called to occupy the promised land of Canaan as their inheritance. God covenanted with David to build a worldwide kingdom by establishing an everlasting throne with the son of David, who was destined to rule with divine wisdom over all the nations, united as a royal family in their common worship of the Heavenly Father within his house, the Jerusalem temple. Finally, the Father kept all of his previous promises by the gift of his son, Jesus, who bore all the curses of the previously broken covenants in order to ratify the new covenant in the self-offering of his flesh and blood that permanently binds all of us together, both Jews and Gentiles, in one universal divine family, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. 
If we look closely at our own lives, we'll find that all these fatherly promises apply to us, to deliver us from the mess our sins have made, to preserve our marriages and our families, to meet our needs, to make us strong, to unite us to others, and for God to be with us always. When we consider our corporate life as the people of God, we'll see how the Father has fulfilled each and every one of these promises to us as a whole, with loving wisdom and merciful ingenuity, by transforming His flawed and fallen children into the spotless bride of Christ. A Broadening Focus With each succeeding covenant, God broadened the focus of His dealings with the human family. At the dawn of creation, God made the first covenant with Adam in the form of a marital bond under the sign of the Sabbath. God created man in his own image, male and female he created them, Genesis 1.27, and he blessed them and called them to be fruitful. This is why he made the marital covenant with the founding father and mother of the human family. Our founding father, Adam, represents the entire human family. In his first encyclical, Redemptor Hominis, Pope John Paul II made the point that at the time of creation, God established a covenant with all of humanity. He sees this as the foundational covenant from which all of the others in Scripture spring, culminating in the new covenant sealed by Jesus, whereby God's original covenant plan is fulfilled and renewed. Citing Eucharistic Prayer 4, he describes Christ's accomplishment. Quote, he and he alone satisfied that fatherhood of God and that love which man in a way rejected by breaking the first covenant and the later covenants that God again and again offered to man. End quote. Ten generations later, God made a second covenant with Noah and his household under the sign of the rainbow. As a result, God's family now assumed a domestic form. As you may recall, Noah was a married man with three grown sons who were also married. Together they formed an extended family. Can you imagine these four married couples trying to get along while living together within the confines of the ark for an entire year? Noah must have run a tight ship. After another ten generations, God made a third covenant with Abram, with the sign of circumcision. So God's family was enlarged to tribal proportions. When called to leave his birthplace, Abram was a patriarch who ruled over a clan, and in time he became the chieftain of a veritable tribe. In addition to his own relatives who accompanied him, such as Lot, this one man oversaw domestic servants by the hundreds, possibly even the thousands. The covenant includes this entire group, so the people of God grew from a married couple to a household to a tribe, which was made up of many households and many more marriages. The fourth covenant was made by God with Moses at Mount Sinai, signified by the Passover, which transformed the twelve tribes into God's national family, Israel. This made it absolutely necessary to form a much more elaborate system of laws. God gave the Ten Commandments and other statutes to Moses, so that Israel would have its own national constitution. God established the fifth covenant with David under the sign of the everlasting throne of the son of David in order to elevate Israel to a kingdom. This meant elevating the nation of Israel over the surrounding nations and city-states, incorporating them into the covenant by giving them a subordinate role as colonies and vassals under God and his royal priestly son of David. Since kings exact tribute from subject nations, this also meant that foreigners would be making annual visits to Jerusalem, where they would be able to hear God's law and learn His fatherly wisdom from Solomon. As a result, the Gentiles learned to worship the one true God, while the Father prepared them to be eventually restored to His family after the coming of the real Son of David, Jesus. As you can see, each one of these covenants is fundamentally familial in nature. God always deals with His people in a personal way, fathering His family and overseeing kinship relationships and obligations through each of these covenants. His ultimate purpose, of course, is to reunite the entire human race 
which was broken by sin, pride, injustice, and violence. Much like Humpty Dumpty after his great fall, the human race cannot mend itself and restore unity through our own efforts alone, no matter how hard we try. Only God can put us back together again and reconcile all of us to himself. How could such a gigantic task possibly be accomplished? By the coming of Christ, the only begotten Son of God, God himself came to save us. We will see that Christ didn't abolish the Old Testament. Rather, he fulfilled and perfected it. The sixth covenant was made by Jesus Christ, with the Eucharist serving as the sign of the new covenant, making God's family truly universal, katholikos in Greek, otherwise known as the Catholic Church. So Christ's kingdom is not restricted to one region or race, nor is it governed by political coercion, military force, and human fear, but by spiritual means, sacramental graces, and divine mercy and love. This is the constitution of the new covenant, and it is actualized within the Catholic Church. All human beings are now called to become members of this universal family of God in order to serve as instruments in the Father's work of reconciliation through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. Human power alone is incapable of such a task. Wow. We have such great material here to just dive into and just chew it up and tear it apart, don't you think? This is a great book. If you haven't picked up your copy of this book or a copy of the audio cassette, you know, the audio book of this, which you just heard part of, please do that today. Stop by the website, www.catholichack.com. Look for the show notes of this episode, number 85. And if you look on the right-hand side under content channels, go to Catholic Hack. There you'll see all the Catholic Hack, Catholic Hack episodes lined up in order, and you can, you can see all the show notes, and you can find the link and pick up your copy today. It's great, great material. You're going to enjoy this. But let me just really quickly recap what we went over in the last Last episode with our special guest Josh LeBlanc. Well, we talked a lot about uh, salvation history in general. We we went over some of the types, uh, typology. We went over how to interpret scripture. You know the the senses, the multiple senses in sacred scripture. We covered a lot of that material, and you can listen to that show again there on the website CatholicHack.com. So please do that today. But you know, just really quickly, one of the main points that you're going to catch me bringing out over and over and over again is going to be typology. And a good quote here found on page 22 of chapter one of A Father Who Keeps His Promises, uh, Dr. Hahn says, quote, this is the purpose and value of typology, which studies how Christ was foreshadowed in the Old Testament, Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Melchizedek, Passover lamb, temple, thereby revealing the profound unity of the old and new covenants. Thus, typology is what enables us to discern in God's works of the old covenant prefigurations of what he accomplished in the fullness of time in the person of his incarnate son, unquote, or in quote, rather. I know people who are very particular about that kind of thing. You know, okay. Here's how you can look at typology and sort of get your mind around how this works. And here's an analogy that Dr. Hahn once gave uh, in a talk, which you can find at SalvationHistory.com on a study of the Gospel of John. Basically, he said when he was a child, he asked for uh, an Encyclopedia Britannica set. And when he got it, he got one had the had a sort of a diagram of a frog and the makeup of a frog, you know, from the bones to the you know the uh, blood and the muscles and uh, and all the way up. And it used these like transparent films uh, to layer each of those segments. And so one page after another, you end up looking at the entire picture. And he says it's a composite, but you can peel back the layers and see them individually. You can see the skeletal structure individual from individually from the, the say the muscles and how those were applied to the skeletal structure. And then you can see how the circulatory system was layered on top of that. And so you can either look at it as a whole or you can, again, peel it back and look at its individual layers. This is a lot like typology. And we see this over and over and over again. 
again throughout sacred scripture. We often see prophecies that are foretold, you know, in Isaiah 7:14, we are told that, you know, the sign will be a virgin who will bear a son, and that son will be the Savior. Well, that had an immediate reference. It also had a future reference. And we see the same thing. That's part of typology. We see in uh, Genesis 3 uh, that the Proto-Evangelium, the, you know, the, the first good news, that after the fall of man, that we'll see that God will bring about the new creation. He will bring about the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. And we're going to get into that in the next couple of episodes, and we're going to dive really deep on that stuff. That's my favorite topic. But we see, we'll see in the future how that is a typological reference to Jesus and his mother, Mary. But we'll also see some Old Testament types who still sort of hint at those, uh, the, those themes. So that's more like the layers. Each individual film of that frog, typology has layers all throughout salvation history. But we need to step back and look at that composite, the the completed image, and see it as a whole. And that whole will come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so important for us to truly understand what typology really is and why it has such a huge impact on our study of salvation history. We will revisit typology over and over again. There are so many references to typological um, themes throughout the Old Testament that will come to fruition in Christ our Lord in the New Covenant. Also, covenant. Covenants play a huge role, which is why this book is based on covenants, and which is why Dr. Hans, you know, uh, his whole doctorate is based up upon covenant theology. And one of the points we brought up last time in comparing the covenants uh, to contracts, we use the image of marriage. And I think this is very, very important for us to to rehash and go over once again. Why? Because we live in a world today that doesn't understand what covenant really really is. People don't understand what swearing an oath is really all about. And Dr. Hahn in this book gives us several examples of how judges swear oaths. Military, uh, people who join the military have to swear an oath. I swore an oath at 17 years old to uphold, defend the Constitution, and to die for my country if called to do so. I swore an oath. And so do police officers and and people uh, of office, such as politicians, for example. They all swear an oath. Now, that oath, that they swear is witnessed by God himself. And every oath, every covenant relationship has curses and it has blessings. And when you fulfill the covenant, when you've kept your end of the bargain, you enjoy the blessings. But when you you break the covenant, you, you for lack of a better term, you enjoy the curses. Now there are, so there's ups and there's downs. And this is why we're going to see uh, on the bottom of page 27, Dr. Hahn is actually quoting from Deuteronomy there when he says, uh, you know, when Moses is telling the people, look, choose life, you know, choose life. It says, quote, the blessings mean life while the curses mean death. So God urges his people to choose life and behave in such a way as to enjoy his fatherly blessing. Moses warned them in Deuteronomy 28, warned the people, hey, you're about to go into the land. And you better had you had best keep the God's word. You best keep the deal you made with God, that God made with you. If you keep it, you'll enjoy the blessings. If you break it, woe unto you. You're going to enjoy the curses. And the people, as we know, looking back in hindsight, enjoyed the curses. They were, you know, spread out into the diaspora, into the Babylon and Assyria and, and everywhere else. And they were conquered and destroyed. And, you know, and it was just by the grace of God that the people of Israel made it through at all. So we see that it is very important for us to truly understand covenant versus contract. Now, a contract, as we said last time, is what? The exchange of goods or services for the sake of economy, whereas covenants are the exchange of of persons for the sake of creating family bonds. So when you got married, or if you're married at all, if you're not if you plan on getting married, if you call, if you feel called to the sacrament of matrimony, understand this. A married person swears an oath. That oath is witnessed by God. 
You exchange persons. I give you myself and I take to myself you. We exchange persons for the sake of creating a family bond. And as a result, what happens? When I got married, I inherited an entire family. And my wife inherited an entire family. You know, I now have a mother-in-law and a father-in-law, and I have brothers-in-laws, and I have sisters-in-law. I've got all of these family members that I never had because I created a covenant relationship with my bride. So you see, covenants exchange persons. This is a typology in and of itself that comes to fruition in the New Testament. We see in Genesis chapter uh, 2 how Adam is bound to Eve through that, that, that covenant relationship of marriage. We'll see the same thing come to fruition at the end of Revelation when the marriage feast of the Lamb and the bride is married to the bridegroom. The bride is us, the church. The bridegroom is Christ our Lord. We see that today in the new covenant and the new relationship that we have with our Lord in the sacrament of the Eucharist, when he gives of himself and we take himself into us through the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see covenant plays a huge role in salvation history. Please know that there is a vast and massive difference between covenant and contract. A marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant relationship. We do not devalue marriage by saying it's simply a matter of an exchange of of goods or services for the sake of economy. Although today, the world wants you to believe that. That's a lie. It's a lie from the devil himself. Marriage is a sacrament. It's a covenant relationship. As our Lord says, that two become one, and that what God joins, no man shall put asunder. This comes directly from the pages of Genesis. This is what God intended when he created Adam and Eve. And so Christ our Lord elevates this from the covenant relationship between man and woman to a sacrament an encounter with Christ himself. How glorious and how beautiful. So please, understand just how important covenants really are. So I think that's a a bit of a recap from what we went over last week. If you need more, please go back and and listen to the show again. That's episode 84 at catholichack.com. And again, one of the other important points I think that we went over was just how to understand and read Scripture, the senses of Scripture, knowing that Scripture is not pure mythology and it's not pure chronology either. It is historical, but the ancient writers of the Old Testament, especially in Genesis, didn't write Scripture so like the New York Times writes the headlines. It doesn't work that way. It uses historical events, but does so to convey a meaning, not the how, but the why. The why is so important. We'll rehash all of that in probably next week's episode as we start to look at Genesis chapter 1 and the creation account. So stay tuned for that. Now I want to talk about uh, looking at the 30,000-foot view of the covenants that we will actually study in this book, A Father Who Keeps His Promises. On page 35, you're going to see how uh, there is a great little diagram here detailing how God, over time, he was widening the relationship he had with man. He starts with Adam, a single man, and brings to him a bride, which we'll dive deeper in in future episode. You know, and then that creates what? A marriage. That's the first relationship, the first covenant that he creates with his creation. You know, the sign is the Sabbath, and we have this married couple there, man and woman. And then he expands that off into Noah. And Noah. His, you know, his role is now father, whereas Adam's role was a husband. Now, Noah, as the father, he is a father over a household. Adam was over a husband over a marriage. Noah is the father over a household. And the covenant sign for Noah is that rainbow. And then it expands even further under Abraham, who is a chieftain. He is the a chieftain over a tribe. And his covenant sign is the circumcision. So you see, slowly, steadily over time, God is expanding his relationship with mankind, including more and more people. 
there. So you see that. Now we move on to Moses. Now Moses is a judge. He is the lawgiver to the people of Israel. And he is now not just a chieftain. No, he is the lawgiver over the nation of Israel. We see the nation of Israel made is made up of many tribes, 12 as a matter of fact. And those tribes include many different people, many different marriages. And that sign of that covenant was the Passover. Again, just chalked full of typology that comes to fulfillment in the new Passover, which is the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. Now we move on even further, including even more people under David, who is a king, and he is a king over a national kingdom. And his covenant sign is the throne, because it is the throne of David that will be inhabited for all eternity, which comes into fulfillment under our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the son of David, as well as the son of God the Father. And we're going to be talking about that here in just a few moments. And then lastly, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ, who is a royal high priest. And his he is not just the, the, the king, but he's not just a priest, but he's also the 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 lawgiver. He is the chieftain. He is the husband, the bridegroom of the bride, the church, the Catholic church. Catholic, which means, of course, the universal church, which, by the way, the word Catholic was used to describe the church in 107 AD by St. Ignatius of Antioch. And so his covenant sign, our Lord Jesus Christ, the high priest over the Catholic church, is what? The Eucharist which, as we said, was a fulfillment of the Passover lamb. So we see how our Lord, over time and throughout salvation history, was steadily including more and more people going from a marriage to a household with a family, to a whole tribe, to a nation, to a kingdom, to eventually to the Catholic, the universal church, to all mankind, bringing in all mankind into himself. It is from the very beginning that the people of Israel were called to become a a nation of priests. Why? So that they can go out to all the world and bring back man, back to God the Father. You see, as Moses tells the Pharaoh, you know, not only to say, let my people go, but he tells them, you know, that the Israelites are God's oldest son. God uses family as the analogy to relate to even to Pharaoh. All mankind is the son and children of God, but the people of Israel are the oldest of those children. And their job as being the oldest child is to help with the parent, help the parent, uh, you know, with whatever they ask. I can, you can ask my oldest son. He is often tasked with all kinds of jobs to help the little ones. It's part of being a family member. And so we're going to see that as we move forward through this book on how this covenant relationship, this family bond that our Lord created, he expands his family over time, adding more and more people into his covenant relationship. And we see the fulfillment from one to the to the other, ultimately coming to its fruition, its pinnacle in our Lord Jesus Christ, who goes on to fulfill all all of the other covenant types. And that's what I want to really want to cover next is and give you some examples of how our Lord fulfilled all of the previous covenant types. For example, I'm going to give you one for each. Adam, our Lord is the last Adam. And we see this, and there are many examples that I could really quote from here, but just to give you at least one for each. For Adam, our Lord is the fulfillment of Adam. And you can see that in 1 Corinthians 15, for example, verses 45 through 49. It says, St. Paul says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As as was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. St. Paul gives us a great analogy here, showing us how our Lord fulfills Adam. 
He, he encompasses all of what Adam stood for, but not just imperfectly like Adam, who, who was the cause of the fall of man. No, because through Adam came death and through our Lord Jesus Christ, the last Adam, as St. Paul says, will come life. Christ will undo what Adam did. He will perfect what Adam imperfected. We see that same thing occurring over and over again for each of the previous covenants and the the mediators over those covenants. For example, in Noah, we see in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 18 through 22, St. Peter says, "For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God." He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight people, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. St. Peter here gives us Noah as the direct analogy to compare to Christ Jesus when Christ gives us there in John chapter 3 the sacrament of baptism when he's speaking to Nicodemus telling him that he must be born again and often we see this misunderstood in in modern mentality thinking born again you know that that I accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior kind of born again but that's not what our Lord says in fact he repeats Himself. You know, he must be born anothen, born from above, of water and of spirit. And now we see just before this verse, what? Baptism. We see Jesus speaking of water and spirit. And we see just after this encounter with Nicodemus, our Lord going out to what? Baptize. So the entire context here is baptism. And this is the stage that St. Peter uses to discuss the analogy comparison between Noah and our Lord, and showing that our Lord is the perfection of Noah. Noah was a Old Testament type that would come to fulfillment in our Lord, that though he was saved, him and his sons and their family saved on the ark there through the waters, that was only leading to a greater glory in the sacrament of baptism. So we see, once again, our Lord fulfilling that Old Testament type. Now, on to Abraham. In John eight fifty two through 59, we see an encounter uh, with our Lord and those Pharisees and priests there in the temple. And they are questioning him, and, and he is giving them some very hard truths. The fact that he is the Son of God, thus equal with God, thus God himself, the second person in the Blessed Trinity. It says, quote, The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever keeps my word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets also died. Who do you claim to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me. He of whom you say he is our God. Though you do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the and went out of the temple. Abraham merely pointed to our Lord Jesus Christ. He was merely a prefigurement of the greater that would come. And we're going to see some great typological references there to Abraham and his son Isaac. Some beautiful 
beautiful imagery that we will just go back and forth on comparing it to our Lord Jesus Christ and his passion. I think you will get a lot out of that. But you see here, once again, our Lord is being contrasted and compared to Abraham, this great father in the faith that many, many millions and billions of people on this planet look to as their father in their faith tradition, whether it be Jewish, Muslim, or Christian. And yet our Lord is the fulfillment of that Old Testament chieftain. He's not just a chieftain over a tribe. No, he is the chieftain over all the tribes of the earth. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He is the word that spoke all into existence. So again, great and beautiful fulfillment of Old Testament types. Now let's go to Moses. And Moses, we back up to John chapter 6, and this is just one of many examples that we can refer to, but this is a great one, obviously. In John chapter 6, this is the bread of life discourse, and we see, quote, uh, starting in verse 31, going to verse 41, quote, Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Then the Jews began to murmur about him because he said, I am the bread come down from heaven. End quote. Again, there's so much we could talk about. We're going to have to get into some of this in the future. But if you were to back up in this section of John's Gospel, you'll see what? Our Lord in the wilderness feeding the multitude, just like Moses in the wilderness fed the multitude of the Israelites with what? The manna that came down from heaven. Our Lord multiplied the fish and the loaves of his own. He didn't have to call it down from heaven. No, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the greater fulfillment of what Moses couldn't do, our Lord can do. Moses, who walked through the water, the parted sea, our Lord walks on top of the sea here in John's Gospel. And we see a direct comparison here, showing how Moses was able to feed the multitude with the manna from heaven, but that wasn't something that, that Moses could bring about. That was purely the will of God. It did, Moses didn't give that to the people. God gave that to the people. And how much greater than the manna, the bread from heaven, is the true bread come down from heaven, the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gives to us in the sacrament of the Eucharist. What a beautiful image we have here of how Jesus is the fulfillment of Moses. Now, David Oh, once again, there are so many examples we could call upon to talk about how Jesus is the fulfillment of David. There is just beautiful typology. We're going to have to save that for future shows. But here's an example. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 33, we see, quote, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words, and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. end quote. Wow, 
there is so much again here to talk about. For example, just in the, the fact that our Lord comes from Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, very uh, in a literal translation, means branch town. Why is that important? Well, for a couple of reasons. Branch is a direct reference to the branch of the stump of Jesse. That being David's line. David's father was Jesse. And so the very fact that we have Nazareth being mentioned here, and again, this comes into play in John's Gospel in another place that we'll talk about it at another time. But to suffice it to say here, this is a prophecy come to fruition, that our Lord inherits the, the throne of his father David, which is that eternal promise given to David by the Lord God that his son Solomon would, would have a throne. That house of David will not go unoccupied for all eternity because God was promising something that David didn't quite understand in himself but trusted in God, that promise would be fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ, who obviously from all eternity will never abandon the throne because he is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. He is inheriting this throne as we see here in Luke's gospel. He is the fulfillment of David, the true branch from the line, the stump of Jesse. Wow. What great imagery do we have here? Now, let me read you a summation of how to understand all of this. And you can find this on page 26 of A Father Who Keeps His Promises. And I hope it kind of gives you an idea of how to piece all of this together. Dr. Hahn says, quote, If you remember this while reading about the key figures in Scripture, you'll discover one of the most significant differences between the Old and New Covenants. The Old Covenant is administered by God with human mediators who come under an oath and then sinned like Adam and Israel, thereby triggering the covenant curses. In contrast, the new covenant is established by the God-man, Jesus, but only after he had fulfilled the terms and borne the curses of the old covenant. He thus became the mediator of the new covenant, which he ratified by oath-swearing. When he wraps up this chapter, chapter 1, he quotes from John Paul II in saying, quote, God in his deepest mystery is not a solitude, but a family, since he has in himself fatherhood, sonship, and the essence of the family, which is love. He goes on to say, covenant is what God does, because covenant is who God is. Wow. God is family. You see, my family, my wife and our kids and I, we aren't a real family. We are a mere shadow of the real family, which is God in the Blessed Trinity. We have an opportunity at a small hint, a glimmer into the inner life of God by living in covenant relationship within our family. You see, this is why when we sin, it is never solitary. When we sin, we never just offend ourselves. We not only offend ourselves, we offend, offend those around us. If we are married, we offend those, our spouse, and uh, those in our covenant relationship. We offend them. And we don't just offend them, we also offend God himself. But the same is true for all of us, no matter our state in life. Priests who sin offend not just themselves, but those whom they're under their care. And not just those under their care, but God himself. Celibates, people who live singular lives, who aren't married, they not only offend themselves, but they offend those around them, those they have relationships with, those they are in covenant relationships, like their parents, their brothers, their sisters. They offend themselves, they offend those around them, they offend God, because we are bound in familial relationships through covenants, sworn oaths, witnessed by God, with blessings and curses. And as Deuteronomy 28 says, choose life, choose life that you might live in the land, in the land of milk and honey. Choose life, don't choose the curses. Keep your end of the bargain. That is one of the main lessons coming out of chapter 1 as we move into chapter 2 and start to look at the, the creation account. And oh, there's a lot of meat there to talk about. But choose life. Choose life. 
Start to understand your covenant relationship with those around you, whether it be your spouse, your children, your parents, your neighbors even. Did not our Lord say there in the upper room as he was washing the feet of his disciples, starting to consecrate them as priests of the new covenant, that they would that they would administer the sacraments to bring food to all those in the wilderness like you and me? Did he not say the greatest thing we can do is to lay down our life for a friend, for someone else? That, my friends, is choosing life. Sacrifice. That brings inestimable value to our lives and to the lives of those around us. To take up our cross, to follow Christ daily as his disciple, means to embrace suffering. To choose life means to sacrifice. Be sure and read through chapter 1 so you can have that foundation that we're going to need as we start to journey now through the rest of this great book. Again, A Father Who Keeps His Promises by Dr. Scott Hahn. Pick up either the book or the audiobook off of the website. The great materials uh, put out by St. Anthony Messenger Press. And I just want to thank them personally for allowing me to utilize this resource as a Bible study here, allowing me to play actual snippets of this audiobook right here on the show. So please do me a favor and thank them. Stop by their website, pick up a copy of this material, or send them an email. And you can do that off of my site at www.catholichack.com. And you can do that today. Audio content from A Father Who Keeps His Promises, God's Covenant Love in Scripture, copyright 1998 by Scott Hahn, Ph.D., used with permission of St. Anthony Messenger Press, 28 West Liberty Street, Cincinnati, Ohio, 45202. To order copies, call 1-800-488-0488 or visit www.messengeraudio.com. Well, that wraps up yet another show of the Catholic Hack Podcast. Number 85 is in the can. Look forward to the next one, number 86, where we are going to dive deep on chapter two of A Father Who Keeps His Promises. We're going to be talking about the creation account. Oh, yeah, there is tons of meat to chew on on that one. <laughs> We're going to have to get rid of all of the stereotypes that we've had on what the creation is. We're going to do the same thing when we get into the garden, too. Lots of great material coming your way, so stay tuned and look forward to that. If you've not been by the website recently, let me invite you to do so. I've got tons of material up there, and I'm trying to keep it updated quite often. Not only can you find this episode, as well as all the Catholic Hack podcasts, you can also find my new show, Behold the Man. It's a great radio show. It's a half hour, so it's very easy to listen to, very quick. I am also going through A Father Who Keeps His Promises on that show. It's a condensed version of it, but I try to give out as much of that meat as possible. So do that today. You can also find Fullness of Truth, as well as the Finding Your Keys episodes. We're trying to record at least some of those and get those up on the site. You can do all of that at catholichack.com. Look down the right-hand side under Content Channels, and you'll see lists of each there. And I've got tons of material right on the blog as well. So please, do me a favor and check that out. I could really use your help in promoting all of those shows. They need to get a little bit more um, audience to follow them, I think. Especially if I'm trying to compete with a lot of other resources out there that uh, folks can have access to, especially through iTunes. You know, I am trying to uh, to just put out a lot of great Catholic Orthodox material so that the body of Christ can be filled with the joy and the understanding of knowing the deep fullness and beauty of the Catholic Church. Not because of anything I say or do, but because I use great resources from great theologians.
theologians like Dr. Han. So I am just a donkey Jesus rides. Again, God can cause a jackass like me to speak for his purposes. Numbers 220-2228. Check that out. You'll enjoy it. So please stop by the website. Do me a favor. Rate, review, and subscribe to Behold the Man on iTunes. Really could use your help there. Uh, send me your feedback. Give me a call, 713-568-6277. That's 713-568-6277. Would love to hear what you think about A Father Who Keeps His Promises and about Chapter 1. You know, what did you think? How does it impact you? What are you looking forward to the most? Or send me an email at catholichack at gmail.com. Well, I am praying for you, and I hope that you're praying for me too. And until next time... May God richly bless you. God bless. From the Catholic Underground. Based on digital.